Somebody say, ouch. ouch. That was actually live footage of me getting carted off the soccer field yesterday. And uh, those guys were incompetent <laughs> getting me off. We're talking about pain. We're talking about suffering. Welcome to church. You're going to be encouraged today. Last week, uh, right before uh, Sunday on uh, Saturday night, my daughter Penny goes, Dad, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I said, pain. And she goes, well, that's depressing. <laughs> I said, yes, it is. But not when you find out what God wants to do with your pain to help it turn into purpose. And I didn't say that to her. I was like, quiet, you know. But um, <laughs> don't you love preacher stories? Preachers always make everything into a story. And I told my daughter right there, and that's how God works in our pain. And she gave her life to the Lord. No, it's a lot more real than that in, uh, in real life. But we are talking about pain. And as I get older, I'm realizing pain is kind of an inevitable fact of life. And I don't even have to do anything to get hurt. Anybody relate to this? You wake up in the morning, you're like, did I get run over by a tractor last night? And I didn't know. Uh, because you just, your body just starts to hurt. And at this, you know, as a 25-year-old man, I'm... Uh, experiencing, I tried that last week too, it didn't go over good. No, I'm 38 years old. So definitely, I'm not in midlife yet, because I don't want to like admit that, you know, even though statistically, but anyways, uh, I'm quarter life. How about that right there? I'm hitting a hundo. That's what I'm believing for. Some of you are all like, you need to eat more broccoli. Well, okay, don't judge. That was a joke. It's okay. But anyways, uh, um, I find as I get older, I just, I, I can experience pain in all these unusual ways, but our church, we actually have a soccer team. It's called Joy FC. Yeah, it's really cool. Kalia started it, and uh, I begged to be on the team, so they let me on there as an act of mercy to their pastor. And uh, I've been playing out there, and I have so much fun playing soccer. And I got really, really sore the first couple weeks. But Friday, we actually had a game, and uh, you'll be pleased to know, church, that we came in second. Uh, yeah. There's only two teams, but... You can tell who the really encouraging people are in the building. They're like, that's so good. That's so good. Anyways, we lost. But we played with heart, played with, with, uh, with a lot of passion, a lot of purpose, not, not a lot of skill. Um, but anyways, I felt great after the game. And I was talking to some of the younger people, and I was like, I could do this again, you know, do this all day. So then they called me on Saturday. And we're like, hey, we're going to go practice at the Oregon uh, rec fields. And so we went over there and and uh, we were practicing, and I tried to kick the ball, and I just went way up. I missed the ball, and I, I went way up in the air, and I came down and hit my, uh, my back on the ground, and so I had, to, I had to ask for a resurrection, a miracle to get me off the turf, and I'm, I was in so much pain, so I dipped myself in the holy waters last night in the hot tub to try to, like, uh, be okay, but man, pain comes at you in life. Sometimes you're not even prepared for it. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you, what does it say? Do you have it on the screen? Nope, I'm pointing, but no. You will, is what the scripture says, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The reality is when you're a follower of Jesus, he doesn't promise us a pain-free, frictionless, suffering-free life. He in fact says in this world, this broken, fallen planet that has deviated away from God's plan, where pain and death and suffering are here, and we're aware of them, right? You're going to have trouble. And having trouble is not a condition of if, oh, you didn't have enough faith. You didn't believe God enough. You didn't do the right stuff. You didn't pray hard enough. No, Jesus himself is saying, even to his disciples and to us today, if you're 
sucking oxygen on planet Earth, you're going to have trouble. That is a reality. Life, uh, there is pain in life. There's physical pain in life. There's emotional pain. There's relationship pain. There's the pain of rejection. And you're going, man, I thought I was going to be encouraged in church today. You are. I believe you will be as we, as we uh, hear what God wants to do with that pain. But we need to face the reality of this. Dr. Sam Chan said it this way, the answer isn't to try to construct a life that is pain-free. That won't happen in this life. Only dead people and resurrected people feel no pain. Pain in life is inevitable, pain of all kinds. But we have a choice. We can allow it to do this, to strengthen our character, deepen our dependence upon God, and make us humble. Come on, let me say that again. We can allow pain to strengthen our character, deepen our dependence upon God, and make us humble. Or we can allow pain to poison us and we can get brittle, we can get bitter, and we can get broken. Those are the choices that are before us. Carlos Castaneda said, we either make ourselves miserable or we make ourselves strong. The amount of work is the same. The reality is we all face pain of various levels and kinds in life. We're going to have that. We're going to have trouble in life. We will experience it. Sometimes that pain is of our own making. Come on, how many of you have ever brought some pain on your own, yourself with bad decisions? Every time I eat at Dave's Hot Chicken, I'm like, whoop, brought that pain on myself. <laughs> or put too many uh, pepper flakes in my pizza ranch. Come on. You, gotta, you know you're from Oregon if you have ranch on pizza. Where are my Oregonians at? Come on. People from other places are like, you put ranch on pizza? We do. We're Christians here. Okay. Uh, sometimes our bad decisions bring pain on us, but other times pain, it comes from the outside world and it wasn't our choice and it wasn't our fault. You know, sometimes you're driving down the, the road of life, the highway of life, and somebody cuts through a red light and crashes into you, right? Maybe you were married and you were doing everything you were supposed to do. You were being faithful. You're serving. Hmm. <laughs> yes, Lord, your servant speaks. We are getting a sideways mic. Do you guys want to mute everything else? Check, check, check. We're good. Radio signal coming through. If it keeps interfering, just bring me the handheld. Um, uh, sometimes in life, you know, you're, you're doing everything right. You're married, you're being faithful, you're serving, you're serving your spouse, you're doing the right stuff, and they cheat, they leave, they, they, they go a different direction. You didn't ask for that pain, but it came at you, right? Maybe you're doing your job and you're serving your company well and you're doing your best, but you get fired. Maybe you're in a friendship group and you get rejected out of that group. It didn't, you didn't cause it. It wasn't your fault. It wasn't, again, because you're not a good enough Christian. It just happened to you. But in that moment of decision, you have a choice to make. I can allow this pain to be used by God to, to work his purposes and to deepen me in my relationship with him and deepen my character, strengthen my character, humble me, right? Deepen my dependence on him. Or I can let it poison me and, and let that pain begin to create its own narrative in my life. I told this story last week, but I'll just refresh it. This week, when Bethany and I were getting ready to have Evie, we made a decision to work with this wonderful midwife named Augustine, and we were there, and Bethany had made a decision to, to go ahead and have a natural birth, and I'm like, wow, that's, that's awesome, you know, because if I was having a baby, I want all the drugs, but she's like, I want natural birth, and so we're talking to Augustine about pain management and the process of, of going through birth, and Augustine said something incredibly wise that stuck with me from that moment all the rest of my life, and I felt like God was even speaking in her words, she said this, pain is what we feel. Suffering is the story we tell ourselves about that pain. Pain is what happens. Pain is the reality, but we are in control of the story that we tell. This is something that we work really hard with with our children is they go through pain in life. 
Um, they go through things in life. They get, you know, bumps and bruises, both physically and metaphorically from brothers and sisters and things happen. They get rejected on the playground, whatever happens. And we talk about, let's make sure that we tell the right story about this, that we don't create a narrative and begin to embrace uh, the labels that come when I let my pain label me and now I take that into my identity. It's interesting to me because we live in a very label-happy culture, okay? And I'm not going to go deep into this because I've offended enough people in first service. But um, we, I'm kidding. I didn't say anything salacious. We only had one angry email and it was about donuts. Nothing to do with my message. <laughs> True story. Anyways, um, uh, we live in a label-happy culture. Like if, if something is a little bit wrong with us, then all of a sudden it's a, it's a, it's a syndrome. It's a, I have this thing. And we, we take identity with, with our suffering and pain. And I'm not saying all labels are wrong, all diagnoses are wrong. I'm not saying that, okay? Here what I am saying, though, is that we as a culture, we like to identify and embrace our suffering, our pain, or whatever is wrong or, or somewhat. In that. And now we create an identity around that. And what I want to do with my kids is I want to help them understand if you allow yourself to be a victim, then that's the category you now get to live in. You see, I don't want my feet to be planted in victimization. Well, Pastor Jake, you've never been victimized. Oh, au contraire, I have. There have been a lot of things that have been done to me, things I didn't cause, things I didn't choose, and a lot of my own dumb mistakes and things that victimized me too. But you know what? I don't stand in my own mistakes or in the mistakes of others and identify that and plant my flag and go, well, now I'm a victim. Because can I tell you why? Because that's not who I am in Christ. In Christ, I'm going to stand over here and I'm going to plant my feet in the reality and the truth of Scripture that I am huperneico. I am more than a conqueror. That's the Greek word in case you're wondering if I'm just speaking in tongues. I'm not. I am more than a conqueror. I am in him the righteousness of God in Christ. Come on, somebody. With Jesus, with Christ, I am the the, a co-heir with Christ. I'm an inheritor of the glory of God. Like there's some beautiful truths, but it, 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 it has to do with a lot about the story that I allow to be my identity in my life. And so as we talk about pain and suffering, we're looking at five ways that we are positioned by pain. Again, if we will make this choice and allow God to work through our pain and do something with it, rather than to create a narrative of victimization in our life. Now, as I get ready to say these, let me give you a caveat that I understand that there is such a thing as deep and almost unbearable or even fully unbearable levels of suffering. I'm not glib. I'm not trying to give you a just think positive message. This is not something you find on like a blog on Instagram, okay? We're talking about God's truth that can bring change and great fruit in our lives if we will listen and let it be planted and let it grow fruit in our lives. I understand that in this room today there are people, uh, we talked to somebody earlier that is literally dying of a disease, uh, I'm not laughing at that like, oh, just think positive. Ha, ha, ha. No, I understand that there's deep suffering. Some of you have literally walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of you are in that valley. Some of you have faced unbearable circumstances and things. And I have a lot of empathy for you. Uh, but what I want to talk about today is that God can actually use those things, which we will all go through in life to some level or measure of. He can use those things to create beauty in our lives. And so we'll talk about five ways we are positioned by pain. Last week I gave number one and number two. You can go on the replay and see those, uh, see number one and number two if you want. We talked about, one, that pain positions us for growth. We've heard this phrase, no pain, no gain, right? Uh, we know that it is resistance that builds up muscle. 
There is something about the pain and the suffering in our life that if we allow God, again, he has to let him do it, not just hold on to that and let it poison us, but if we will allow God to use our pain, he can position us to, to grow and, again, to deepen that, our character, our dependence upon him. Number two, pain positions us for purpose. I shared the story about how Bethany and I and a team of us, it wasn't just us, we're not the heroes of the story. I believe Jesus is the hero of the story, but God used Bethany and I and a few of us, a team of us, to plant Joy Church. And in that season, back in 2016, we, we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have uh, a lot of, you know, people that were voting for us or whatever. It was like kind of a down and out time. And it was in that season of pain where I told the story about we got to the end of Bailey Hill and our transmission went out and we're sitting there in the rain and our kids are crying in the back seat. And I was done. I'm like, God, you know, I have nothing left. But God used that season of pain. God used that season of sacrifice to position us to plant Joy Church, which has blessed a lot of people. Praise God. And it's also blessed us that God uses those moments where we think, man, this is the end of the book, and it's not. It's just the end of a chapter, dot, 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 and God is setting you up for what he has next for you. Now, here's the reality. It says in the Bible, there were people that lived their lives in faith, and yet they died. There were people that lived their life in faith, and they didn't get the healing. There were people that lived their life, and they didn't get rich. And so you go, well, as an American Christian, doesn't everything have to work out exactly how I want for God to be faithful? No. Sometimes the positioning of God doesn't result in everything going exactly the way that you want it to go. Hello, somebody. But God is positioning it for purpose. You see, you have to zoom out sometimes and go, God, you're up to something a lot bigger, better, and more beautiful in the world than just my life uh, can fully represent and express. And so God will position us for great things, for purpose in our life. Does it always look exactly how we want it? No. But God does use pain to position us for moments of purpose. Now moving on, I'm going to give today three, four, and five. Number three, pain positions us for fresh encounters with God. Fresh encounters with God. I want to ask you a question today, and I don't want you to answer it too quickly because I know how it goes in church. I grew up in church and Sometimes we ask a question or the pastor asks a question and the inclination is just to go, yes, 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 you know, if it's a good thing. But my question for you is this. Are you hungry for the presence of God? Is there a desperation, a cry in your bones, in your soul, from the bottoms of your feet, you know, for, for God to show up in our nation? Uh, a fresh encounter with God. Because I believe that as a society, we have, we're in a place where we're very affluent. I mean, if you look at world history, the reality is all of us in the United States of America, circa 2023, we are living at the literal height of human history in terms of affluence and uh, the capacity to have a very comfortable existence. Maybe you think, well, Pastor Jake, I'm on the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum here in the United States. But if you have water that comes out of a tap that's hot, you can get somewhere on two or four wheels uh, you, you have access to the internet. Like you have things that kings and emperors would have longed for a thousand years ago, 1500 years ago, okay? And so here we are with all this great affluence and what can happen sometimes is that God's blessings that come even from operating in wise, wise principles and all, you know, all of this, sometimes God's blessings can blind us from what truly matters, which is a relationship with God. And I believe even in our nation, God is allowing things to be shaken. Our political institutions are being shaken. Our educational institutions 
are being shaken. Our financial institutions are being shaken so that what it says in the book of Hebrews can occur, that that which is unshakable remains. What is unshakable? The kingdom of God, a relationship with Jesus Christ, his eternal truth. Come on, the unshakable things. And so God will often allow suffering and pain to divest us of the illusion of safety, to to take away from us the illusion that I'm okay without God. To, to take away the illusion that I'm a self-made man or I'm a self-made woman. I read that blog and I did the seven steps and now I'm like a boss lady or I'm a boss man or whatever you are. Well, you are a boss, but it's not. But like, don't be, don't be comfortable thinking that you got somewhere without God's hand and blessing in your life. I mean, if you go through the scripture, there's all kinds of verses about this. It's like, hey, uh, a, a wise man understands that God is the one who's permitting his plans to, to actually be uh, successful. You say, Pastor Jake, you're taking the scenic route on this point. I know, I know. But here's the reality. Pain, suffering, we can look at it as a curse or we can say, you know what? I can choose to let this moment reveal to me that I absolutely desperately need God, that I'm hungry for God, that I'm not satisfied with the things of this world and I'm not satisfied with just being comfortable. I want God in my life. I'm seeking his face, not just his hand. And I love the fact that our God responds and moves into these broken places in our life. It says in Psalm 34, verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. I heard a guy on American Idol a few years ago, it was like 20 years ago, I think, but he said, my spirit is broken. (laughs) I love that because he got kicked off American Idol, you know. He was quoting scripture, uh, and I laugh about that. And I say that sometimes when something very minor happens in my life. Like I stub my toe. My spirit is broken, you know. <laughs> no, you're just clumsy, you know. But I think about you here today, maybe somebody watching online, and you actually are crushed. Uh, you actually are brokenhearted. Life has chewed you up, spit you out. You've been rejected, abused, assaulted, whatever. And I just want you to know the compassionate heart of God. It's interesting to me that as a culture, we we spend so much time worried about what God tells us we're not allowed to do, and we reflect very little on the character of God that he actually embraces us at our worst. He steps into the broken places of our life. Oh, you're saying God, God isn't going to let me pursue this way of life, and his word says I'm not allowed to do that, and he's he's so mean, he's so awful. No, God actually sees beyond all of the artifice of your life, and he's right there for you in all the broken places. He's close to the brokenhearted. If you're here today and you've been chewed up and spit out by life, listen, he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. You're in good company with God. There was a difficult time in my life, and uh, it wasn't like massive major suffering not wasn't a family member that died or something but it was going through some things and I remember I would sit in my office I have a chair that leans back and I would sit back and I'd lean back in my chair and listen to Leland's song that goes I just want to be where you are we sing that in in church I just want to be where you are and I'd I'd weep in the presence of God Uh, you go real men don't weep no real men do weep we just don't tell anybody unless we're allowed to on a Sunday but I was crying in the presence of God and just getting back to that place of first love because my pain was uncovering the well of worship in my life. You know, when you get pressed, when you get crushed, when you get broken, when you get your back against the wall, 
what comes out is that which you truly love, what you truly desire, and what would you do for that thing? Jesus talks about the man that found a treasure in a field, and he went and he sold everything to get that treasure. There, there's something about uncovering that this relationship with God and this, this relationship you have with Christ and being willing to trade everything for it, and it reveals pain and suffering and loss. They reveal the thing you actually care about. A few years ago, our kids, uh, they were younger than they are now, and they made an unwise decision. They decided to take an unsanctioned field trip. So it was unsanctioned and unapproved by mom or I. We didn't know they were going to do this. And so they walked, the three of them, Evie in the lead, Jack as the good middle child following along, and Penny as the baby in opposition, right? This is how the birth order works. And they decided they were going to go to Dairy Queen down the road. And so they snuck out and went down there. And, you know, I'm like, who raised these kids? Well, we did. So anyways... We didn't know where our children were. We, we found out like they walked off and we don't know where they are. And so we instantly went into panic. We start going door to door, asking neighbors, hey, our kids, are they, did they walk over here? Um, and you know, what, have you seen them? And we're going crazy. I start running down the street. Bethany and I both are, we're banging on doors. Uh, I mean, I'm like, when I say banging on doors, I'm like, I'm going like full Stallone on those doors. You know what I mean? I was ready to kick doors down. If I heard my kid is in this room, tell you what, there would have been the German shepherd, not the gentle shepherd, right? And so we're like, where's our our children? We're looking around. I get in my car. I'm like, I'm going to drive the neighborhood. And uh, I'm driving the neighborhood. I have my windows down. I am fully Pentecostal in crisis, okay? I am speaking in tongues. I am screaming at the top of my lungs. Jack! And I'm screaming to Jesus, Jesus! They probably thought we had four kids. You know, Evelyn, Jack, Penelope, Jesus Christ. You know, it's four children. I'm screaming, I'm praying, I'm speaking in tongues, I'm crying. There's snot coming down, and I don't give a rat about it. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, you're Jake from Joy Church. I saw you on TV. I don't care. I don't care. You can take my pride, but you'll never take my freedom. No, I, I'm just, I'm going crazy in this moment because why? Because there's nothing to me more valuable than these three kids that God blessed us with. And so we were absolutely desperate. Praise God. We found them. All was well. There was some stern talking, talkings too about why we don't take unsanctioned field trips uh, and all of that. But you know what was revealed in that moment is that when there was the, the prospect of loss, when there was the prospect of where are my children, there was a desperation that came in my heart. And this is how God operates, that pain can actually be a gift. The suffering we go through can be a gift to deepen our need for him and go, you know what, I'm back to that place of first love where I could say with honesty, God, if I had nothing else, you are enough. And God allows that to happen in our lives. Number four, pain positions us for other people's healing. This is probably my, one of my favorite points out of this sermon um, because God will use our suffering and pain to do beautiful things as he's weaving the tapestry of life. It reminds me of a man in the scripture, a man named Joseph. Joseph was the favored son of Jacob, the patriarch of Israel. Jacob had 12 sons. They became the, the 12 tribes of Israel, and Joseph was his favorite son. Joseph was given a coat of many colors to show that he was like his father's favorite and Joseph's brothers were jealous of him, so they ended up faking his death. 
Uh, they threw him in a pit. And when these Ishmaelite slave traders were coming by, they actually sold Joseph into slavery into the land of Egypt. And then they told his dad that he had died. And so Joseph goes into this season of life that is, I mean, unimaginable suffering. He's sold into slavery. He gets sold to a man named Potiphar at Potiphar's house because Joseph is a man of God, because he's a man of wisdom. He doesn't let that pain poison him. He actually, like cream, rises to the top. And at Potiphar's house, he's wise. He manages Potiphar's business well. And he becomes basically the household manager at Potiphar's house, making uh, a lot out of a little. And all of a sudden, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph, and he doesn't go with it. So he becomes the first streaker for righteousness. If you don't think there's nudity in the Bible, there is. Potiphar's wife grabs Joseph's garment. He takes off. So he's <laughs> boogaday, boogaday. <laughs> Boogaday, boogaday, fastest thing on two feet. Okay, some of you will get that reference. And uh, Joseph runs, and he's captured, and they say, Potiphar's wife says, you tried to assault me, and Potiphar goes with that, and so they put him in prison. So now he's been betrayed, kidnapped, put into, sold into slavery, and now he's falsely imprisoned. There in prison, he doesn't get bitter, he doesn't get brittle, he doesn't get broken, he just continues to serve God and be faithful and so he rises like cream to the top in the prison. He's, he's in the prison. He's trusted. He builds a relationship with the king's cupbearer, the king's baker. While he's there, uh, they have these dreams. Joseph interprets these dreams because God's given him this ability to do this. And uh, one of them uh, gets taken out. One of them gets let out of prison. And Joseph asks the, the one that's let out, will you remember me when you talk to Pharaoh to, uh, to you know, plead my case? And the guy says, absolutely. And then he completely forgets Joseph. And Joseph is left in prison for 13 years. So Joseph, at this point in the story, everybody goes, man, isn't it great to serve God? You know, he's, his blessing. I'm too blessed to be stressed. Joseph's in prison for 13 years. Finally, Pharaoh has a dream that the wise men and magicians of Egypt cannot interpret. And the king's cupbearer remembers, oh yeah, there's this guy in prison named Joseph. And he says, Pharaoh, there's a man named Joseph. He can tell you the meaning of your dreams. Pharaoh says, get him. They bring Joseph before Pharaoh. Joseph says, Pharaoh, this is your dream. This is what it means. And Pharaoh says, what should we do? And Joseph not only has the meaning of the dream, but he gives Pharaoh this plan, this economic plan for Egypt that will take them through seven years of plenty, seven years of lack, and preserve the nation. And so Pharaoh says, this guy is incredibly wise, and he makes him the second in command of the nation of Egypt. So he goes from the prisoner, right, and the forgotten and the betrayed, all the way to the second in command of Egypt. He gets married. He has children. Like God is blessing him. He's, he's, it's good things are happening in his life at this point. And he's gone through all of this kind of stuff to get to this moment in life. And now as the famine reaches up to the land of Canaan, where Jacob, Jacob's family's at and Joseph's brothers, Jacob says, I've heard there's grain in Egypt. You need to go to Egypt. And so Jacob's sons, and these are Joseph's brothers, they go down to Egypt and they, they meet Joseph, but Joseph is uh, dressed and looks like an Egyptian, and so they don't recognize him. And here's Joseph, and a couple things happen. There's a lot of drama in this story. It's really good, and the book of Genesis encourage you to read it for yourself. But Joseph's here, and where we're going to pick up in the story in Genesis 45 is where he reveals himself to his brothers. And it says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph the one you sold into Egypt. It's probably been 20 years at this point. I mean, you think about the emotion and the depth of this. This is one of those areas where when you read the Bible, you have to use your imagination and go from 2D to 3D and imagine the weight and the depth 
the guilt these men felt for what they had done, the lies they had, you know, concealed. And now here in the flesh is their brother Joseph. And he says, And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Let me just give you something incredibly valuable right now. If in your life you will allow your verbiage, you will allow your story, you will allow your confession to be this pain was I was not sent here to this place by my ex-husband or my ex-wife. I was not sent here by that friend that betrayed me. I was not placed here because this side of the political aisle or that side didn't do something right by my, by my group or whatever. But rather, God is the one that put me here. God himself is the one that put me here so that I could do what he called me to do. So that he could use this experience, use my pain, not to bring judgment, not to bring an attack, not to bring... All of that, yes, God will judge all things in his time, in his season, but he brought me here so that you could be saved. Then you're in control of the narrative and God can use that. That is a beautiful truth about being a Christian, that God can work all things for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so Joseph says, this is why I was sent here. It wasn't your actions when you put me in a pit. It wasn't your actions when you victimized me. It wasn't your actions when you betrayed me. It wasn't the actions of Potiphar. It wasn't Potiphar's lion wife. It wasn't the forgetful butler and baker. It wasn't, it wasn't Pharaoh. It was God, and he put me here to save lives. For two years there has been famine, and for the next five there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Men and women who will let God redeem their story of suffering and pain are not victims. They are more than conquerors. Men and women who will let God redeem their story. And it's not saying God was for the parent that abused you, that he was for or behind the spouse that rejected you. No, God didn't want that to happen either. But aren't you glad we serve a God that redeems stories rather than condemns us in those stories and leaves us there in chains? And you can wear the chains of victimization or you can embrace the freedom of life in Christ with a story that says what I suffered brought me to this place, not by the hand of another person, but by the hand of God to do something good with my life. What if we looked at pain as a providential positioning of God for other people's benefit? And that gives us a brand new lens to look through. And as we finish, I'll give us point number five, that pain positions us for glory. We share in the suffering of Christ on this side of eternity in a broken and fallen world that we may also share in his glory, in the resurrection. Paul said in Romans 8, 17, since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. There's something that makes a person beautiful when they will suffer with Christ. Suffer for or with Jesus. Do you know that our Savior has scars? I want you to think about this. This is interesting. Jesus, when he's resurrected, he is what the Bible calls the firstborn of the new creation. He has a glorified body. When Jesus comes back from the dead in the Gospels, he has a resurrected body. And yet when he appears to his disciples, and Thomas is doubting if it's Jesus, and Jesus says, Thomas, it's me. Come and put your hands and see my scars 
on my wrists where he was nailed to that Roman cross. Come and put your hand in my side where I was pierced. Here's Jesus resurrected and couldn't it have been in the power of God? There's a resurrection. Why can't he make it look like there was no spear? And why couldn't he take away those nail holes? Why are they there? Because there is something more beautiful about suffering for redemption and righteousness and to redeem people. There's something about love that also leaves scars. And when we suffer with Christ and we suffer for Christ, we also have scars on our skin. And even in the resurrection, I believe we will have those scars because those scars don't tell the story of our pain and suffering. They tell the the story about God's goodness in redemption and bringing us out of those moments. In Japan, they have this art form called kintsugi. And I'd like to have the team put that picture up on the on the screen if possible. This is a ceramic plate or jar or a bowl. And with kintsugi, what they do is when they have a treasured vessel, like a cup or bowl, and it falls and breaks, what they do is they mend these areas of breakage with a lacquer that's dusted or mixed with powdered gold, sometimes silver or platinum, but usually gold. And as a philosophy, this idea treats the breakage and repair as part of the history of an object rather than something to disguise. So then rather than trying to make it look like it was originally, they embrace the scars, they embrace the brokenness, and there's beauty that goes in there. And I think this is a perfect picture of what a resurrected Christian looks like. Not a life that had no scars, not a life that had no pain, but one that was, that pain was turned into glory. Romans chapter 8, we've already read this verse, but since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Jumping ahead to verse 28, it says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. The beauty of Christianity and the beauty of following Jesus is that everybody will go through pain. Everyone gets beat up. Everybody gets chewed up and spit out in life. But for followers of Christ, our pain has purpose. 2 Corinthians 4, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What is glory? Glory is where we conform to the image of Christ, where when we stand before God, we have completed that transformation from sinner into son or daughter. We have completed that transformation from this side of the story of sin and suffering and now we stand on the other side and we are now made perfect and complete and God can look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. I'll end with the words of C.S. Lewis from his essay, The Weight of Glory, which I would highly encourage everybody to read because it's transformative in how we think about God's work and process in our life. He says, I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. By God himself, it is not. How God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of him is of no importance, except insofar as it is related to how he thinks of us. It is written that we shall stand before him, shall appear, shall be inspected. The promise of glory is the promise, almost incredible and only possible by the work of Christ, that some of us, that any of us who really chooses, shall actually survive that examination, shall find approval, shall please God. To please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, 
but delighted in as an artist delights in his work or a father in a son, it seems impossible, a weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain. But so it is. You can let your pain be turned into poison or you can let it be turned into prophetic potential, turned into purpose, turned into other people's healing, turned into a redeemed story. That even when you show your scars, they're not the chains of victimization, but rather they are the scars of a life that you've been delivered from and pain that you've been delivered from. And now you're resurrected with Christ and you share in his glory. That's how we deal with pain as followers of Jesus. Amen. Would you bow your head and close your eyes today? This morning, I want to give an opportunity for anybody that's here that has not yet put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Today, I want to invite you to raise your hand to God and say, I put my trust in Jesus. I receive him as Lord and Savior. We live in a world of nearly infinite options. And yet what I have found in many others is that almost every path leads to futility Almost every path leads to hopelessness. And the one path that I know that leads to life is the path of Jesus Christ, putting our faith and trust in him. And if that's you today and you want to start this journey of following Jesus, I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you, but I just ask that right now you'd have the courage to raise your hand and I'm going to pray with you and then we'll give you some next steps to take afterwards. We'll let you know how to do that. Are you, if you're here today and you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ, would you raise your hand so I can see? Just do it right now. Lift it up. Thank you so much. Awesome. 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 Thank you. Awesome. Come on. Anybody else? Just lift your hand up. So good. Anybody else here in this place? Great. We're going to pray right now. Everybody can repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you and in you alone. I repent of my sins and I give you my life, all the good and all the bad. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making me right with God. Give me the grace to follow you as your disciple the rest of my days. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's celebrate that today. Yeah.